Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Well, you may be wondering some things about Barah Ministries, like who is the God we worship, what is our source of truth, and who is the enemy? Well, one night before he was crucified, on the night before he was crucified, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed that God the Father would edify his believers by constantly giving them the truth. And he identified the source of truth. John chapter 17, verse 17, he said, Sanctify believers in me in the truth, Father. Your word is truth. So it's no trouble for me to remind you over and over again at the beginning of each lesson who your God is the importance of his word, the study of it daily, and the cunning his enemy uses to ruin you. Well, who is the God we worship? We worship a triune Godhead. There's one God who expresses himself to mankind as three separate and distinct, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the author of the triune Godhead's plan for all mankind. God the Father rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He provides for all of our needs. He has blessed us in eternity past with every spiritual blessing, blessing he stores up for us in the heavenly places. Now, why would God the Father do all these things for us? Well, because he loves us, of course, and he loves us the best way unconditionally. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind and that while we were sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, the Father sent the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, to die a sacrificial death for us. God the Son, the Lord, volunteered to execute the Father's plan by coming to earth as Jesus, the Christ. And for those who say Jesus Christ is just a man, can you imagine a man saying this? Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven thirty, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That doesn't sound like anything like a man. Only God could make such a statement and then be able to deliver on it. 
Jesus Christ is God, and there is only one way to heaven. You invest your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him to save you, and Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and by believing in him, you instantly have the resurrection life, eternal life, in his name. We worship God the Holy Spirit. He is our mentor, he is our teacher, and he is a guide who is the rudder of a Christian's life. God the Holy Spirit places all believers into an irreversible union with Christ from the moment of salvation. It's called the baptism of the Spirit. He is the agent of the virgin birth. He speaks to the world through our human spirit. He even interprets our prayers for God the Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this, God the Holy Spirit helps our weakness. For example, we don't know how to pray as we should, but God the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. God the Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a ghost, as some like to call him. He is every bit the equal of God the Father and God the Son. Well, what's our source of truth here at Barah Ministries? As Christians, we can develop a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the entire Godhead through the study of the Word of God, which is the Bible. The Bible is the mind of Christ. It is God-breathed into the writers of Scripture, the human writers of Scripture. It does not come from man. It's a lamp for our feet that lights our path. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul encourages you to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, which demonstrates spiritual wisdom, and use it for teaching and admonishing one another, for instructing, advising, and warning each other, that is, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving and thankfulness in your hearts to God the Father. The Bible is our source of truth. Well, who is our enemy? God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a temporary period of time. He is the enemy of believers in Christ as well. Satan is so arrogant that he boasts of an ability to wrestle the universe out of the Lord's hand. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, he says, You, Satan, said in your heart, I will ascend to the third heaven, that's the residence of God. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, that's the second heaven, the resident of angels. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north, that's the first heaven, which is just above planet earth. Isaiah 14, 14 I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, which means I will take over the function of God. I will make myself like the Most High. What a joke. He could never take over the function of God because he would never be willing to die for anyone. This is a puny boast by a puny creature. In Psalm 2, verses 4 to 6, the Lord chuckles at such a thought. The Lord who sits in the heavens laughs at those who conspire against him. The Lord scoffs at them, Psalm 2.5. Then God the Father will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, in Psalm 2.6, But as for me, I have installed my king, my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon Zion, my holy mountain. The Lord is the one and only legitimate king 
of the universe, and no one will wrestle that rulership out of his hands. Well, just as Satan seeks to disrupt divine history, he disrupts a Christian's life as well. Yet we have the victory in this spiritual warfare. We are on the Lord's team, and it is always the winning team. So stand fast in the freedom and in the victory, and never again be entangled in slavery, especially slavery to the devil's encouragement to sin and to rebel against God. Because rebelling against the Lord is fruitless, and he laughs at rebels. No one will ever be successful against the Lord. Today's Bible lesson, are you the target of the wrath of God? Are you the target of the wrath of God? Well, I would worry hearing that question, but in a word, no. You are not the target of God's wrath. Your sin is the target of God's wrath. Both Adam's original sin and all of your personal sins are the target of his wrath. Well, God loves the sinner, but he hates sin. That's the the moral of that story. So if you're an unbeliever, and all of us were at one time, so we don't have any way to boast, this should be very worrisome to you. For unbelievers, their sin is the target of God's wrath. Why? Because they didn't appropriate the paid-for sin of Jesus Christ. They want to pay for their sin themselves. That's the worst decision ever. So if you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father will direct his wrath toward your sin, just as he did when he directed his wrath toward the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross as he paid for the sins of the whole world with his blood. This is seldom a concern for unbelievers because they ignore the truth that they know. In today's lesson is a sobering reminder for unbelievers that in their time on earth, they will appear to get away with things as God overlooks their sins because of Christ's work at the cross. This life is a trial for all of us, and God is reserving his judgment for the end. But the day of judgment is coming, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, which says this, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. That takes care of all the people who believe they can pray for the dead. That takes care of all the people who believe in reincarnation, that they're going to come back as a chair in the future. That's not what happens. It's appointed for men to die once, And then comes the evaluation. So on that day of evaluation, on the day of judgment, all those who reject God's grace will receive God's wrath in their very persons. And that wrath is called the lake of fire. And it's a promise from God that no one would wish on his worst enemy. Well, let's hear some music. How does it feel to know the entire Godhead knows you by name? I don't believe you had me. So I'm going to say it again. How does it feel to know that the entire Godhead knows you by name? How does it feel to know that you're the object of their constant concern? How does it feel to know God loves you just the way you are no matter what and that you are never a disappointment to him? How does it feel to know the truth of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which says this, 
We believers in Christ know with absolute certainty that God the Father causes all things to work together for good to those who love God the Father. You hear people misinterpret this verse all the time. All things work together for good. No, that's not what the verse says. It says God works all things together for good to those who love God the Father, that's believers in Christ, to those who are called according to the Father's purpose. Our God weaves a tapestry of success for his children. So let's celebrate his person as Sandy Patty prepares us for this lesson with her song, How Majestic Is Your Name. and some pretty cool violin in that song. I like that. Nice, upbeat song. Violin, yeah. How majestic is your name, Almighty God. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for being our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. You protect us. You are our place of safety. And we gladly praise you for your loving kindness in the storms of our lives. 
you prosper us in so many ways. Thank you for making us aware of how much we underestimate your unconditional love for us and your desire for us to have the desires of our heart through your power and not our own. Arm us to do your will. Help us to have an eternal and divine impact on others by sharing your gospel message. Teach us not to shy away from giving the bad news, the consequences of unbelief, before we give the good news, which is the benefits of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep us focused on eternal things instead of on the things of this world. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, are you the target of the wrath of God? Are you the target of the wrath of God? Well, I'll tell you what, I was depressed all day yesterday. Because preparing a lesson on this passage of Romans chapter 1 was sobering. Because over the course of 25 years of teaching the Word of God, I have talked to a lot of people about God. A lot of people who are very dear to me and very close to me. And all of the faces of the friends through the years who have a cavalier attitude, a casual attitude about their spiritual life, and who are avowed atheists, who have just outright rejected any possibility of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, just made me sick at the stomach. And to get myself even further sick at the stomach, I googled famous people who are atheists. And it was a really, really, really long list. And on that list were a lot of people that I really admire. And you just shake your head. Now, the good news is there weren't a whole lot of black people on that list, but that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole other matter. I, you know... <laughs> You know, one of the cool things about being black is you know how uh, worthless you are, and you need somebody to help you, so Jesus is our help. Amen? <laughs> amen. I come out and say amen. <laughs> oh, well, we don't talk like that. You know, you Negroes are just really cool, and, you know, we don't want you to be offended. All right, whatever. Well, we continue our study of the first chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter to believers in Christ at Rome. Here is the structure of chapter 1. The first seven verses of the salutation where Paul is greeting the Roman Christians. The verses 8 to 13 are the affirmation where he tells them how magnificent he thinks they are that in the midst of the belly of the beast at Rome, which is one of the most depraved and and just horrible cultures of all time, that they have established these churches in the midst of that depravity. The main message, uh, verses 14 to 17, which is, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of salvation as a gift from God the Father for all who believe, to the Jew first chronologically and then to the Greeks, which are the Gentiles, that's us. Today we'll study the indictment against the whole human race because the first three chapters of Romans are an indictment against the whole human race. And we're going to study that indictment. And if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have an ounce of compassion, 
this sobering past passage may depress you as it depressed me. Because think about it. There are people in this congregation who know that they have relatives who they love dearly who are unbelievers. People who are paying no attention whatsoever to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is depressing to think that you go through this very short period of time here on earth and then you spend all eternity in the lake of fire because you didn't make a six-second decision to place your confidence in Jesus Christ for your salvation. It, that is depressing. What, what the good news is, though, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is long-suffering and that he puts up with us for a really long time and gives us chance after chance after chance to make a good decision. So... As we go through this passage today, you're going to be thinking about all the people you love to whom these verses apply, and I hope that that inspires you to, regardless of their reaction, to get them the good news after giving them the bad news about what the possibility is if they continue to reject a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's look at the passage. It's Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 34. We're not going to just look at it, but we're going to hear it. Here it is. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness of unbelievers who suppress the truth of the gospel in unrighteousness. Yeah, there were those words. For the wrath of God the Father is revealed. The wrath of God the Father directed towards sin. Romans 1.19 Because that which is known about God the Father is evident within those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness. For God the Father made the knowledge of God evident to them. He made it clearly plain inside their souls and he gave them ample messages from outside who he is and what he has to offer. And what he has to offer is good. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind. Have been clearly seen by all mankind. Yeah, but what about the little children in Africa who may never heard about Jesus Christ? Have been clearly seen by all mankind. Yes, an omnipotent God who has all the power can get a message to the little children in the middle of Africa in their language, in a way they can understand it. So stop the lie. There is nobody on this earth who hasn't heard the gospel message, with the possible exception of children under five. Because they're not paying attention to anything but juice boxes. Amen? Continuing Romans 1.20, being understood through everything that has been made in the entire created universe. Not only does God put a conscience inside of us, in our souls, that allows us to know right from wrong and good from bad, but he surrounds us with just amazing things in nature, which there is no explanation for except that there is a God. So that all mankind, especially those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness, are without excuse in the matter of knowing God. Now, the Bible is the absolute truth. And what does the Bible say? 
you don't have an excuse because I, the omnipotent God, am going to get you the information. And you're going to know it inside and out. And you get to accept it or reject it. And whatever you choose is up to you, and I'm good with it, but you are without excuse. See, one day, everyone's going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're not going to be able to con him. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows all the knowable. He knows every thought that you had a billion years before you even had the thought. You're not going to be able to con him. He's going to know. And all the smugness that unbelievers have when they talk about Jesus Christ when they're rejecting him aren't going to play at the great white throne judgment of unbelievers. It's just not going to play. There's no excuse for not knowing God. What you choose, whether you choose to be in a relationship with him or not, that's up to you. Romans 1.21. For even though those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness absolutely knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks. Instead, those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, one of the things that I love making crystal clear is that believers in Christ are not ungodly and are not unrighteous. Believers in Christ are godly and righteous. Why? Because of something we did? No, because God made us that way at the moment of salvation. So this, yeah, amen. So this is clearly talking to unbelievers about themselves. Romans one twenty two. Professing to be wise, those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness became we have a term for that in high school, a sophomore. What is a sophomore? Sophos, somebody who's wise, who thinks they're wise, but moros, they are fools. A sophomore is a wise fool because they think they know everything. They think they're wise, but they're not. So that's unbelievers professing to be wise. Those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness became fools. They, they make up this logic about why it's okay for them to reject a relationship with Jesus Christ when it's not. Romans 1.23. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. In the form of corruptible man, they deify men. In the form of birds. In the form of four-footed animals. And in the form of crawling creatures. They, they, you know, the funny thing is, they reject God, but they worship somebody else or something else. And those are the types of things that they worship. And I've seen this in my travels all over the world. Romans one twenty four. Therefore, God the Father gave those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness over in the lusts of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, making their sins clearly visible. Romans 1.25, for those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, he who is the blessed one forever. Amen. Romans 1.26, for this reason, the reason of the worship of created things rather than the creator, 
God gave them over. Those are terrifying words. When you rebel against God, he says, okay, fine. He gives you over to your rebellion, to degrading and shameful passions. Like what? For their women exchange the natural sexual function for that sexual function which is unnatural, homosexuality. Romans 127, and in the same way, the men abandoned the natural function of sex with women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent sexual acts, that's homosexuality, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error, which is clearly visible to all. Romans 128, and just as those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness did not see fit to acknowledge that there is a God any longer, and that's atheism, God gave them over, those terrifying words again, God gave them over to a depraved mind to practice those things which are not proper, that is, conduct unbecoming of a human being. Romans 129, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, Greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. See, people who engage in homosexuality get all bent out of shape because earlier in the passage, it's discussing homosexuality. But look, it's discussing every sin imaginable that depraved people engage in. And not only depraved people, but you who are believers in Christ have at one time or still are engaging in these same things. They are gossips, Romans 1.30, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, Romans 1.31, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, Romans 1.32, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of the sentence of death because sin is worthy of the sentence of death. If it were not for Jesus Christ, all of us would be going to the lake of fire because that's the punishment that sin deserves. They not only do those things, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Why? Because misery loves company. So as we begin the journey of sucking all the marrow out of what God has given us in this passage, it's important to remember who we were, who we as believers in Christ were when we were unbelievers. Now we're believers, but then we were unbelievers, and here's what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 reminds us of. It says, and you believers in Christ were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. We were born physically alive and spiritually dead on the wrong side of a barrier without a relationship with God, and we were helpless and hopeless to do anything about it. Ephesians 2.2. In which you formally walked according to the curriculum of this satanic world system. See, Satan influences us three ways. He influences us through his world system, he influences us through the flesh, and he influences us either directly or indirectly with his demon army. 
So in which you formerly walked according to the curriculum of this satanic world system, the world which Satan rules has a system of thought that it is selling you, having the same spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And that's a reference to unbelievers. Ephesians 2, 3. Among them, we believers in Christ too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. We have nothing to brag about as believers in Christ because we were that way once too. Indulging in the desires of the flesh and the desires of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of the unbelievers were. So when we were unbelievers, we were the target of God's wrath because of sin. He loved us as sinners, but he hated the sin. Ephesians 2, 4. No, it was only one to three, and I put four. So as believers in Christ, we are saved, but we have nothing to boast about. We had a choice to accept grace or to face wrath. We chose grace. We had a choice between spiritual life and spiritual death. We chose spiritual life. We had a choice between justification and condemnation. What is justification? That's where God looks at you and sees you as perfect. It's a legal distinction. And no matter how many sins you commit as a believer in Christ, he doesn't see them. Why? Because they were paid for at the cross. Now, your family's not that way. Every time you make a mistake, they're shoving, rubbing your nose in it. But the Lord does not do that. So we, we need to get that just because we made these choices, the choice for spiritual life, the choice for justification, the choice to take advantage of God's grace. There is no merit in us that makes us special in any way for asking for God's mercy. We were begging, in essence, because we were desperate. The merit is in the God who granted us the mercy. John chapter 3, verse 36 speaks to the gravity of the situation for all of God's creatures. It says this, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Your sin, if you reject the relationship with Jesus Christ, your sin remains a target of God's wrath. And if you close your eyes in this life, Rejecting a relationship with Jesus Christ, the wrath that will be directed at you is the lake of fire for all eternity. We are born with wrath on us because of sin. And if we don't ask the Lord to handle that wrath for us, we will handle it ourselves. Ouch, ouch, ouch. So let's begin the study of this passage with a story. As you probably know, Men have prostate glands. It's a favorite target of cancer in men. About 34,000 men die each year as a result of prostate cancer. And although it can be aggressive, it is usually a slow-growing cancer. However, pathologists who perform autopsies indicate that prostate cancer is a frequent finding in all males who die who are over the age of 50. There's a test used as an early warning sign of prostate cancer called a prostate-specific antigen test. It's PSA, 
It's a blood test to help detect prostate cancer. Now, the test is not perfect. It's not always reliable and will not find all prostate cancers, but it is a way most prostate cancer is detected. A score higher than four on the test is an indication that more extensive testing, like a biopsy of the prostate, should be performed. Between 2016 and 2019, my prostate, uh, my PSA score elevated to 11. I had a biopsy during that time when it had elevated to 8, and it was benign, but the number kept elevating. So my urologist decided that a second biopsy was in order, and this time he did an MRI prostate biopsy, which is a more detailed way to inspect for cancer. When they do a biopsy, they really only biopsy about 75% of the prostate. So if your cancer is in the 25%, you in trouble, amen? <laughs> but a, a prostate MRI will tell areas of interest, and some of those areas of interest may be in that 25%. So anyway, needless to say, I was pretty worried. Uh, it'd be more appropriate to say I was scared to death, and I certainly expected bad news. Well, after the biopsy was completed and assessed, the call came in from Mayo Clinic. My urologist left a message, so I sat in the Nordstrom parking lot, and I played the message, expecting the worst, and he said, benign. This was the word that I longed to hear, and I just erased that message recently, I kept it for five years. Come to find out, I have a prostate gland that is genetically five times larger than the average male prostate gland. So the worrisome score for me on a PSA test is 20. So 11 is a long way from 20. That was great to know, and I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't bothered to get myself into one of the most renowned medical systems in the world at Mayo Clinic. My doctors over there know what they're doing, and I highly encourage you to get with doctors who know what they're doing. But what's the point? You know, the point wasn't I wanted to tell you my prostate story. The point is, it's always great to get good news. We are born with the spiritual equivalent of prostate cancer. Bad news. We are born physically alive and spiritually dead. That's really bad news. And if you're spiritually dead at the moment of your physical death, by your own choice, your sins are the target of God the Father's wrath. God provides you with the gospel message, the good news about the Lord's salvation offer. And if you reject that salvation offer, your sins are the target of God the Father's wrath. So we continue our study of Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. And remember, the first three chapters of Romans communicate the bad news to all of us about our condition of physical birth. Why? Because without the bad news, there'd be no need for good news. See, unbelievers don't think they have a problem. So why do they need to be saved? There's nothing wrong with me. I don't need to be saved. But if there's no... So if there's no need to be saved, why would we concern ourselves with having a relationship with the Lord? That's what they reason, but the truth, and the truth is we wouldn't. Yet most people who communicate the gospel message don't want to say anything 
about the gravity of the bad news. We don't want to offend anyone. Well, the truth can be quite, quite offensive for those who don't want to hear it. So what do we do? We soft-pedal the gospel message. Oh, all you have to do is believe in Christ. Yeah, well, I, I was talking to a guy the other, uh, uh, about a week ago about this, and he said, yeah, I don't need that. Yeah, you do. You don't think you need it because you don't know how bad your situation is. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Let's start our verse-by-verse assessment there. It says, For the wrath of God the Father is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness of unbelievers who suppress the truth of the gospel in unrighteousness. Ungodliness is a direct disregard for God and his word. Wrath is an action of God, divine anger directed at sin, directed at the rejection of his son, at the rejection of the Lord's work at the cross, at the rejection of the Lord's shed blood, at the rejection of a relationship with the Lord. God the Father says, unbelievers, here are the consequences of your action. Wrath. Now, now, when you really think about that word wrath, it just has such a, a negative connotation. And when human beings express their wrath, they want revenge. They want to hurt you. That's not an unconditionally loving God's viewpoint. He actually doesn't want to hurt you. And I think wrath is almost an acceptance of your decision. He'll tell you, this is what, I, what I'm going to do if you reject the benefit. This is what I'm going to do if you reject the good news. But honestly, that is not my preference. I don't want to do it. Please don't make me do it. And if a person lives to be 91 years old, he just keeps on saying, please don't make me do it. I don't want to do it. And then wrath ends up being his acceptance of your decision. If God wanted to comment on the rejection of salvation and all its benefits in song, he would call on Fleetwood Mac. You can go your own way. See, he gave us free will, so you can go your own way. Acts chapter 17, verse 31 says, God the Father has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, the God-man, Jesus, the Christ, whom God the Father has appointed after having furnished proof to all men that Jesus Christ is God by raising him from the dead. So while they are on earth, unbelievers may think they're getting away with something because God is letting them have a fair trial. But in the end, there is judgment. Sin will be judged harshly with wrath. And believe me, it is never a good idea to poke the bear of God's wrath. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Because that which is known about God the Father is evident within those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness. That's unbelievers. For God the Father made the knowledge of God evident, meaning very plain to them. All of us are the same from the moment of physical birth. We're indicted. What's an indictment? It's a formal accusation for a serious crime, the crime of spiritual death. Indication that a situation is bad and deserves to be condemned. 
In this case, the formal accusation is spiritual death. It deserves condemnation. And it applies, as Southerners would say, to all y'all. What did Jesus tell the Pharisee Nicodemus? John chapter 3, verse 3, he said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, the spiritual birth, he can't see the kingdom of God. Are you born again? You know, the, the, a lot of people like teasing Christians. Oh, are you one of those born-agains? Yeah, I am. Many biblical passages let us know our condition as unbelievers. No creature is righteous. All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction between any of us. We were born lost. We were born as sinners. We don't seek a relationship with God. He seeks us. Jeremiah tells us why men don't seek God. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, he says, The heart of a man is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can even understand it? None of us really enjoy seeing ourselves as we are. None of us enjoy looking into the mirror. Yet the Bible makes who we are from physical birth very clear. And our only hope comes from the Lord through the cleansing blood of Christ and regeneration by God the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ's invisible attributes, his eternal power and his deity have been clearly seen by all mankind being understood through everything that has been made in the entire created universe, so that all men, especially those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness, are without excuse in the matter of knowing God. Everyone knows that Jesus Christ is God. I don't believe you heard me. Everyone knows that Jesus Christ is God. They may want to soft pedal it. Unbelievers deny it. They pretend it isn't true. Yet everywhere they look, they see the Lord. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Astronomers know that there is a God. Scientists know there is a God because they see it in everything they do. And there are a lot of them who like ignoring it. Unbelievers say there is no God after seeing a hurricane. Unbelievers say there is no God after looking at the Grand Canyon. Unbelievers say there is no God after marveling at the sun and the moon and the stars moving in completely predictable patterns. After seeing rainbows and hearing the story of how Noah was promised through a rainbow that God would never flood the earth again. Unbelievers say there is no God after seeing the northern lights. They are witnesses of the infinite, yet they are not convinced. So sad. Unbelievers want to edit God out of everything because they don't want to hear what he has to say. They don't want to know the truth, but they do know the truth. They are not ignorant. Unbelievers do their best to suppress the truth about God. And that means trying to edit him out, but they're not successful. 
Well, when we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll continue the study of the final passage of Romans chapter 1. And before you take the break, notice the words of the Chris Tomlin song, Indescribable, and hear all the things unbelievers must reject to hold their opinion that there is no God. Take a five-minute break. Oh, 
Nisi. Let's go. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Are You the Target of the Wrath of God? Are you the target of the wrath of God? Well, Nike has it right about athletics. Just do it. At Barah Ministries, we have it right about generosity. Just give it. In Proverbs 3.9, the Lord says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruits of all your produce. The Lord doesn't need us to give. He wants you to want to give. Don't ever underestimate the power of your giving. The enemy of God, Satan, influences you to be reluctant to give. Well, what are they going to do with the money? And why are they always asking for money? Well, when you give to Broad Ministries, you change lives. You may not get to know how you make a difference while you're here on earth, but God knows the impact you make and will share it with you when you get to heaven. People all over the world have access to the Broad Ministries lessons through the power of the Internet. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon at Broad Ministries. I'm blessed because at Broad Ministries, we know where to place our burden in life. We place our burden squarely on God's shoulders. It's the best place to put it because... We can't handle everything, and the sooner you know that, the better. And I was thinking how in the Bible it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Because God was always helping people. He's always doing the worst possible job trying to help people. And so how do we do that in people's lives? How do we know their burdens? And I was thinking the only way to do that really is to see through their eyes. And how do you see through somebody's eyes if you don't know them? You know, we have a lot of people in our lives that we don't truly know. If you look through their eyes, you can see a lot of their, their burdens that they fight through. You can see a lot of their temptations, a lot of their battles, and a lot of the sins that they have in their lives. And we could help them through that. We could pull them out of it or encourage them or whatever it may be. A lot of times we don't look, look through people's eyes. You know, what's it look like through the eyes of a father that has eight kids and they're all playing sports? He probably doesn't have a life. <laughs> He's probably just delivering kids to practice <laughs> And gains. And what's what's it look like to the life of a of a young you know a young athlete, a student athlete trying to fight onto a team you know that has their own cliques and their own things going on and you know we don't know about all those things because we never ask and I was thinking well what's God's burden? How do you see through God's eyes? What is His burden? And His burden is His message that we need to get out so that we can help people with their burden in life through getting good news like Pastor said the gospel and that's what Barah Ministries does. We get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. And by supporting at the offering and giving, you're not only worshiping, but you're getting the message out to everybody. You're helping people with their burden in life. So look around the, t the people in your life and ask about their burden. How can you share their burden with them? Make their, their, their life better. Make your life better by knowing somebody and by knowing Christ and allowing others to know Christ. So thank you for helping with others' burdens today by giving at the offering and reaching deep into your pockets and giving everything you have. Well, most of it. Thank you.
instrumental version of it the other day. thought it was really cool. Today's Bible lesson, are you the target of the wrath of God? Are you the target of the wrath of God? Welcome back. Let's continue at Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For even though those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness, that's unbelievers, knew God, they didn't honor him as God nor give him thanks. And instead, they became futile in their speculations. Yeah, well, what if? Yeah, well, what if? Yeah, well, what if? And their foolish heart was darkened. The word that comes to mind to describe the unbeliever's attitude toward God is ingratitude. Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist preacher in the 1800s, who was considered to be the prince of preachers, describes unbelievers this way. He says, man's ingratitude against God is shocking. And there's nothing worse you can say of a man except that he is not grateful to those who have been his benefactors. Amen? And all of us are indebted to God, but not all of us are grateful to God. You can say the reason God allows people to go to hell is because they don't worship or acknowledge the Son. But the real reason is that God hands them over to their own desires. They say, I don't want a relationship with God, and God says, fine, live for all eternity in a place where there are like-minded people. And everybody in the lake of fire has rejected a relationship with the Lord. And if the Lord went down there and said, okay, you people, for one day, I'm going to change my mind, and any of you who want to come back to heaven with me can, nobody would go. Where is that place that God created for the like-minded people who don't want a relationship with Christ? It's called the lake of fire. And those who end up there go there by choice because it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to a change of mind about Christ. There is unity in the lake of fire. 
because all are one in their decision against God, their disdain for God, to their own destruction. That's how stupid people can be. Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Professing to be wise, unbelievers who practice ungodliness and unrighteousness became fools. What do the supposed wise indulge in instead of a relationship with God? Philosophy, horoscopes, psychics, the occult, idols, witchcraft, Darwinism. Oh, you know, we all came from tadpoles. <laughs> it was so funny when my kids went to college, you know, 18 years of teaching them that the creation story, and they come back from college and they, you know, it's like, hey, Dad, do you really think uh, Darwinism has some validity? So I took them to the zoo and I showed them the gorillas and I said, hey, why are they still here? Right? If, if we keep evolving, the thing that was beforehand should be gone. So, it's crazy. Psychology, all these things are things that people trade God for. And all of them are pretty much worthless. The Apostle Paul is using the first three chapters of Romans to communicate to all mankind how depraved we really are. And that's something we forget. And whenever you forget that, whenever you forget how depraved you really are, go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. If a man thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And we think we're something. It would be easy for me to say that the reason that I got out of the ghetto and became wealthy is because I'm so wonderful. I know for a fact that that happened because of God. But that did not happen because of me. And I can see all of the orchestration that God did to make that occur. And that was not me. And it's really important not to forget that, and especially as believers in Christ. And I think that's one of the reasons that God leaves the flesh in us after salvation, so that we don't start thinking we're all that. So as believers in Christ, when we see the way unbelievers operate, we say, I don't understand people. Yes, you do. You know deep down inside your heart, that most people are selfish behind comprehension. You don't want to believe it, despite the evidence that you see over and over and over again. The selfish, those unconcerned about God, are fools. Romans chapter 1, verse 23. And unbelievers exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for images to worship. In the form of corruptible man, in the form of birds, in the form of four-footed animals, and in the form of crawling creatures. I was involved in a thing called systematic theology, and the pastor who taught it, I can't tell you how many people just deified him. And if you say anything negative about him, oh my goodness, it's, oh, he, no, no, that pastor was amazing. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He was teaching you lies, and you believed him. And you got so into that that you forgot who Jesus Christ is because your eyes were on him and not on Christ. Idolatry insults God. When people don't worship God, they always worship something else. Acts chapter 7 verse 41 talks about the Jews in the wilderness after they had crossed over from the Red Sea and escaped from Egypt. It says, at that time, the Jews in the desert made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works 
of their hands. That's what unbelievers do. That's what the selfish do. It's their hands that they're concerned with and they aren't at all thinking about God. Over the years, people have worshipped cows and bulls and serpents and these practices are still followed to this day. I have a lot of friends from India and they're vegetarian because of their worship of cows. Romans chapter 1 verse 24 says this, Therefore God the Father gave these practicing ungodliness and righteousness over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, making their sins clearly visible. The Greeks and the Romans were brilliant and they were always sitting around philosophizing but they were totally depraved. And they used their smarts against themselves. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. For those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than worshipping and serving the Creator, the one who is the blessed one forever. Amen. Gold, silver, wood, statues, and carvings are not God. I spent a lot of time in Thailand, and they have these big gold statues of Buddha, and the lying Buddha, and the sitting Buddha, and they go into these temples and they worship Buddha. But Buddha is just a statue. Gold. That's not God. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. For this reason, the worship of created things rather than the worship of the Creator, God gave them over to degrading and shameful passions. For their women exchanged the natural sexual function for that sexual function which is unnatural. Which is homosexuality. Paul zooms in on one sin as an example because it was a prevalent sin in Rome. Pederasty, homosexuality, definitely rampant throughout Rome. And as you'll see shortly, though, he doesn't stop there. There's a whole additional list of sins which all of us engage in in some way. So there's nothing for us to worry about. And see, today, you can't talk about homosexuality in a negative way because people have decided that homosexuality is just the same as heterosexuality and it's completely acceptable. It's completely acceptable to change your gender. It's completely acceptable to marry someone of the same sex. And there's a tremendous amount of pride about it. But God hasn't changed his mind. And anybody who teaches it then becomes a pariah, somebody to be condemned. Well, you want to condemn me for telling you what's in the Bible? Condemn me because I'm a reporter. That's what it says. And I got to tell you exactly what it says. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. Take it up with God because I didn't write this. Romans chapter 1, verse 27. In the same way, men abandoned the natural function of sex with the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. 
men with men committing indecent sexual acts, homosexuality, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty, which is the compensation of their error, which is visible to the eyes of all. You see men becoming effeminate and talking in an effeminate way. You see women becoming hard, and people call them dykes, which is hard. But if you say none of this applies to me, that these things are impossible for me, that I could never do that, you're deceiving yourself. Because as people, we can be talked into anything. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And just as those practicing ungodliness and unrighteousness did not see fit to acknowledge there is a God any longer, which is atheism, God gave them over to a depraved mind, allowing them to practice those things which are not proper, conduct unbecoming of a human being. What do unrestrained individuals do? Romans chapter 1, verses 29 to 31. They become filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, Romans 1.30, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Romans 1.31, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. These are all the things an unconditionally loving God does not hold against us. Yet humans show how unmerciful they can be by holding all these things against others. Romans chapter 1, verse 32. And although they know, unbelievers know, the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of the sentence of death. They not only do these things, they also give hearty approval to others who practice these things. Are you the target of God's wrath? You sure don't want to be. It's a good idea to accept God's salvation offer. Then you won't have to worry about it. Well, the closing moments of this lesson could be the ten most important minutes of your life. You'll be introduced to the good news concerning how you can spend all eternity in heaven when you close your eyes in this life. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants for you is that you make the most important decision of your life. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God considers you to be a spiritually dead sinner who needs a Savior. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to the earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. That's really bad news. Your condition at physical birth, however, is not your fault, but it is your circumstance. By your own choice, you have a chance to be precious in God's sight. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones, his saints, his believers 
in Christ. The fact that God wants you is a great thing to know, especially as you get older because no one gets out of this life alive. What's going to happen to you when you close your eyes in this life? Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? God has an enemy, Satan, the ruler of this world, and he creates counterfeit lifestyles and counterfeit gods to blind your mind, and he uses a thing called religions that are designed to mislead you into thinking you're saved when you're not. Roman Catholicism is one of those counterfeits. Here's an excerpt from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, and this is from paragraph 2010 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, <clears throat> moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification, for the attainment of eternal life. What is that saying? It says that you can do something to save yourself. You can do something to have eternal life. And not only that, you can pray for others. That's what Satan wants you to think. You can pray for others who are dead and help them get salvation too. Satan wants you to think that you can work your way to heaven, earning your own salvation. You cannot. He wants you to think you can pray for the dead and get them salvation after they've died. He's lying. You can't. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes the judgment. The bad news is that you can't do a thing to save yourself. The Lord provides you with the Bible to illuminate the path to heaven. John chapter 20, verse 31 says this, These things written in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah and the Son of God, the Lord who took on human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life, eternal life, in his name. The Bible contains the Lord's exact thinking. It is your owner's manual for life. And the good news is the Lord Jesus Christ did something about your sin problem. He has a plan for your salvation because he doesn't want anyone to be at the wrong end of God the Father's wrath. He doesn't want anyone to, the go, to go to the lake of fire. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this. The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any to perish in the lake of fire, but for all to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can you get to heaven? Right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the moment of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believes. The one way, the only way to get to heaven is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Who is this God who saves you? 
The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. Believing in Jesus Christ is your acknowledgement that you can't do a thing to get to heaven on your own. You confirm that being a good person does not get you to heaven. So it's wiser to let God save you because once God does a thing, he never changes his mind. John chapter 10 verse 28 says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You can't lose your salvation. And if anyone tells you you can lose your salvation, they're lying to you. Many people in the world think they don't need a Savior because they are basically good people. And these people are like those who defend themselves in a lawsuit. The joke in the legal community is that anyone who represents himself in a lawsuit has a fool for a client. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name that's been given under heaven by which men must be saved, except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Reject a relationship with Christ? In Matthew chapter 25, verse 30, the Lord shares the consequences. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, the lake of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So heed the warning and accept the invitation of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. You can join me and a host of your believer friends in heaven when you close your eyes in this life by choosing to believe in Jesus Christ right now. Well, let's close with music. In Satan's kingdom, the Lord is always painted with a punishing brush as someone who's waiting to come down on us. Well, the Bible paints a dramatically different picture. After the Apostle Paul expresses his dismay that despite his best efforts, he can't meet God's standards in his own power, the Lord makes something perfectly clear. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in union with Jesus Christ. Here's June Murphy to remind us in her song, In Christ There Is No Condemnation. choices we must make there's no need to kid ourselves we're gonna make mistakes at times we will choose to sin just cause we want to still we stand forgiven because this fact is true 
We're perfect in God's eyes. Guilt and shame were overcome when Christ died on the cross. No matter what mistakes we make, our salvation can't be Almighty God and Father, thank you for helping us understand the importance of the gospel message. Thank you for giving us a taste of what your wrath entailed. And thank you for not giving us over to our depravities so that we avoid self-destruction. As we go out into the world this week, let us share this message with the unbelievers we know so the bad news of rejection of Jesus Christ becomes the good news of the Lord's salvation offer. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Discussing the lesson and prayer circle immediately following this lesson. You can join us live or on Zoom right away. And if you've got biblical questions, it's ask the pastor. Uh, Email address is pastor at barabministries.com. Keep on studying the word of God daily. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.